You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And here's your host, Aram Layton. This is a Locked On MLB Prospects, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm a prospect writer and analyst, as well as the founder of JustBaseball.com. And in today's episode, we have a fun guest, one of my favorite guys to bring on the show. It's Jeff Ponce, co-founder of Prospects Live. And Jeff is a guy who I love to bounce things off of, whether it's on the air here or off the air via Twitter DM or text or whatever it may be. Always a guy that just so eloquently is able to explain what his thoughts are on a prospect and make a good case for the way he feels a certain way about a prospect and someone that I often agree with. And if I don't agree with him or if he doesn't agree with me, I rethink about what my perspective is because I really do respect his opinion that much. And he really is one of the best minds in the prospect world. I really do believe that. And he has done a phenomenal job over Prospects Live and has helped build something uh, really special and, and awesome and informative over there. So plenty of prospect talk in this one. We talk about a lot of philosophy of prospects as well. And it's something that we have discussed a lot and we're on the same page on. So it may sound like some stuff you've heard before. And I promise I always have to lead in and make sure I I put this out there because there's so many things that we laugh or we'll send a message at the same time. And it's the same thing verbatim. We oftentimes have really similar takeaways and really similar perspectives on players. Uh, and that's something that is funny because also when we don't agree, which is pretty darn rare, it definitely spurs me to go check again and hold myself accountable and see where uh, my perspective comes from and challenge it and see if I double down on it or if I can see that perspective as well. And that's what's so fun about having uh, people like that and friends like that in the industry like Jeff that you can respect and bounce things off of and that you really uh, value their opinion because it just helps make you better and helps make you make sure you're making the most educated and being the most informative person you can be in this position because I do really take a lot of pride in this spot. So I really think you're going to enjoy this interview as always with Jeff. He's going to be somebody that will obviously be on again soon too. And he's going out to the Arizona Fall League. Hopefully I'll be able to get out there. Uh, But if I'm not, he's definitely, definitely going to be on to talk about the Arizona Fall League once that wraps up. So before we get into this interview with Jeff Ponce, a reminder that this episode is brought to you by Spotify Green Room. Spotify Green Room is the first social audio platform made for sports fans. The app is free to download, and once you're in, you can talk with me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time about your favorite team or sport. I'll be hosting rooms for Locked On MLB Prospects once a week, and you can join in on the conversation to listen there. And you can see on Twitter when I'm going to host those rooms. Green Room is a perfect place to start or join conversations about the league. You'll find fans just like you on Green Room for watch parties, debates, post-game breakdowns, and of course, reacting to big news or rumors. You'll have a chance to chat with me, ask questions, or maybe even be featured on an episode. Go download the free Green Room app now, currently available on all iOS devices. Be sure to create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the MLB group for the latest league updates. You can follow me at RM waiting on there to find out when my room goes live. See you there. Green Room, changing the way we talk about sports. Also brought to you in part by Built Bar, 18 delicious flavors, including coconut, cherry barcia, 
raspberry, mint, brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, strawberry, orange, cookies and cream, and German chocolate. My personal favorite is mint brownie. They are all low in calories, low in sugar, low in carbs, low in fat, high in protein, and great for a keto diet. Covered in chocolate, easy to chew. What else could you want from a protein bar? Roughly 130 to 180 calories, only four to five grams of sugar, 17 to 18 grams of protein. And if you go to built.com right now and use the promo code LOCKED15, that's LOCKED15, you'll get 15% off your next order. That's built.com, promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your next order. And also, Built Bar is the official protein bar of the U.S. track and field team. That's built.com, promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your next order. So let's get into this interview with Prospects Live co-founder Jeff Ponce. I hope you enjoy it. So we have an old friend, and it's been a while since we've had you on here, but it's Jeff Ponce of Prospect Live. Last time we were talking before the minor league season. Now we get to recap what was an awesome year with so many storylines that we won't even have time to get to all of them. I, we always joke we could talk for like 10 hours, uh, but I'm really excited to talk to you, Jeff, and uh, thanks for taking the time to come on. Yeah, absolutely, man. Happy to come on. Excited to talk. So we have a lot of things we talked about briefly before we, we started recording um, and some more underrated guys that we're going to get to. But I want to start with some of the big name players and some of the bigger name guys that had just massive years this season. I look at our top 10 at JustBaseball.com and, and some of the big prospects that just thrusted themselves into the conversation here. Riley Green is one that really stands out to me because Green and Torkelson were two guys I was juggling. I'm like, who do I put ahead of who? You can't go wrong. But, you know, I wanted to really put some thought into it. I opted for Green because I like what he brings in terms of being a guy that either is going to give you above average outfield defense in either Mm -hmm. corner or maybe in a pinch could even play center field with the way he moves. Uh, One, do you think he has the ability to stick in center? And also just what impressed you the most about this kid and his age 20 season uh, to be able to do what he did and climb all the way up to triple A. Yeah. I, you know, I do think he has, I think it's, you know, let's back it up a little bit coming out of the draft. I don't think anybody thought Riley green was this level of athlete. Um, that's improved. He's mm-hmm. put in that work. Um, you know, he's an above average to, to maybe plus runner. Even uh, when I saw him, he was the arm is really good. Um, he's good out in center field. He's got center field instincts, right? Which, you know, we talk about intangibles and tools and, you know, he's fast and whatever, he's going to be able to play center. Um, having the instincts to be able to, you know, make good reads, um, you know, roll to your right or your left, um, cover the gaps, you know, that's the sort of things you need to be able to do. Riley green does that. He's got a big arm, um, that I think, you know, if you did move him out to right field, he'd be fine. Um, and he does everything well offensively, you know. Uh, I know the numbers may not necessarily say this this year, but you have to keep in mind this guy was a 20-year-old um, in the in the upper levels. You know, he was in double-A and then in triple-A for a large chunk of the season, playing against players that I think were maybe four years older than he was. <laughs> um, so this is like a this is like a col- this is like a high school senior playing against, you know, uh, playing col- you know, college baseball more or less. I and mean, that's that's kind of how you have to view it. Um, so I think it's pretty incredible when you consider what he did offensively, uh, the fact that he was able to produce in the way that he was able to produce. We know there's contact there, we know there's raw power. Um, relatively good swing decisions. He can run. There's a little bit of everything. So I think when we're looking at it just strictly from, you know, uh, a real life, you know, scouting sort of standpoint, you're going to go with the center fielder that can hit. 
that's younger, yeah. right? So that's the difference between him and Torque. I still think Torque is is you know arguably one of the best hitters in all the minors, but he's probably first base only. He's two years older. Um, so his upside and, and sort of, um, impact on both sides of the ball is not what it is with green, where I think, you know, we could see, you know, over the next two or three years, green really blossom into a, into a true superstar. I don't think we've even scratched the surface, uh, in terms of what his actual upside and, and, and sort of, um, you know, end game is in terms of where he ends up. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm all in on green, you know, and, and I have them all, you know, I have them above torque. Um, but I think it's still relatively close. Like it is on your list, but I think it's about five and seven. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're splitting hairs there, but it's always just a fun conversation to have. And you look at it from like a war standpoint, you're always going to get more wins above replacement from the guy playing center versus the guy that's either going to be playing subpar third base, which I don't even know if you can stick there or first base or DH. So I think that's really what it comes down to. And I've always said it wasn't an indictment on torque. But imagine if Riley Green was at Arizona State right now, because that's what at this age, Torkelson was still hitting at Arizona State. Yeah. So imagine that and, and what Riley Green would be doing to Pac-12 pitching right now. It, it could be record breaking type stuff uh, that it, it just would be a joke. I want to also float some of the breakout guys, some of the guys that maybe weren't on our radar, at least my radar as much, and then see who you are buying more than the others. I'm not, that's not to say that you're selling some of these other guys, but two Royals players in MJ Melendez and Nick Prado had major turnaround seasons. And also though, you have an Anthony Volpe who was kind of just didn't do anything terrible to fall off the radar, but after a meh debut and then no 2020, those kinds of guys kind of fell off a little bit. And then one more for you is Nick York, who just, bursted onto the scene after being that who pick for a lot of people when the Red Sox took him. which of those four players are you most sold on uh, in terms of what they did in 2021? Yeah, I think, I, I mean, honestly, I'm sold on, on all four players. Um, for me though, I think it's Volpe. Volpe is, is in my, my opinion is a top 10 prospect. He's an up the wow. middle infielder. Um, there's power there really good swing decisions. He's a, you know, above average contact hitter, uh, rarely chases. Um, you know, he's a, a plus a double plus on base guy. Um, and, and, and everything, you know, behind it, it sort of leads me to believe that it's all legitimate, you know, um, like his expected data, he's got a 395 expected Woba to a 429 Woba. Um, you know, that's still elite numbers. <laughs> You know, we're talking about there, um, you know, most of his launch ankle buckets are, you know, within optimal ranges, you know, his highest ranges are five to 15% and 15 to 25%. Um, you know, so he doesn't oversell for lift, uh, and he hits the ball hard. Um, you know, his, his, his exit velo is max exit velo at, at that age is 110, which is good. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, he's got an 89, 89.5 average, and that's a 20 years old. I mean, his first full professional season. So um, when I look at all of that, I think, you know, he's he's overcome the alien in in uh, Jason Dominguez, yeah. top Yankees prospect. Uh, and I think he's one of the top middle infield prospects in the game. It's kind of funny to think back that, you know, looking at that, you know, that Del Barton team uh, that he was on. With a lighter. Uh, with, with Jack Leiter. I mean, like, you know. 
just a few years removed. And, and these are, you know, two top 100 players and, and Volpe, who was the less famous of the two may end up being the better pro player. And that's not a knock on Jack Leiter. That's simply speaking on how good Anthony Volpe has been. It's the thing with these cold weather kids, you know, and I think um, there's something to be said for a lot of those guys that maybe had the opportunity to, you know, work at the alternate site or, you know, um, train for an entire year and, you know, maybe really work on, um, some of their deficiencies as a player. And I think we saw some guys like that take major steps forward. I think Volpe is definitely one of those. And that kind of segues nicely into, into MJ Melendez, who, um, you know, I happen to be friendly with, with, um, with Jared Goodwin, who was on, um, you know, MJ Melendez's father's staff, yeah. uh, Florida international. Um, so he was around MJ. Um, you know, I know the type of work that he was doing last off season. And, you know, when I asked Jared about it uh, early on in this breakout in like June, I said, what's going on with Melendez? Like he's hitting everything. He's like a completely different player. And he's like, he had a, re his response was he had a really good shutdown. He worked on a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think that with him and Prado, there were some miscommunications in terms of the coaching staff at Wilmington back in 2019. And I think it really led to everybody that was on that team um, being a little out of sorts, you know, and I won't go into too much detail there, but, you know, I think that a, a lot of um, their success has come from um, streamlined coaching within the Kansas city 100%. system. They've done a better job of, of internal player development uh, and just a really good staff, um, you know, at Northwest Arkansas and then, subsequently Omaha. He's a really good defensive player as well. Um, I know he can, because he's athletic, he can probably fit into a few different positions, you know, allow them to let Sal still catch some games, of course, um, get him some reps and and sort of figure out the DH spot, you know, whoever that might be. Maybe it might be Vinny Pasquantino. We'll see. Um, but across the board, you know, contact was really good. The max exit velocity and the power, the swing path, all that stuff is really good with Melendez. He's a good on-base guy, um, plus, you know, on-base guy. Uh, and the same thing, you know, he doesn't chase a lot, so he makes good swing decisions. And that's something that I personally always try to look at. What kind of pitches is somebody swinging at? How often do they expand the zone? That's not to say that there aren't players Tim Anderson being a great example, Raphael Devers being another, where they can expand the zone and it can work, but you have to have that sort of innate bat-to-ball ability yeah. that not everybody has. So I like to see players like this that get on base. You know, they don't swing at junk. They don't expand the zone. You know, they keep a tidy strike zone, and they know the pitches that they can drive. That tells me that there's a cerebral element to their game. There's a plan, and they're not just up there getting by on raw ability. They're developing – as pros. So that's something that I always try to look at under the hood. You know, some of it is, is certainly um, non-public data. I'm, I'm lucky enough to have access to some of that stuff. Um, but I think even when you look at walk rates and you, and you look at swing and strike rates, you know, you can sort of figure it out. Um, you know, what guys are expanding versus those that aren't. Um, so I think that's a big part of, of Melendez's game. Um, and Prado is, you know, somebody that, you know, as a prep player, I mean, he was, was, Melendez was, but Prado was very, very highly touted. He's one of the highest drafted prep first baseman in history, has a beautiful left-handed swing. I think anybody that's seen any of the video of him swinging, even in batting practice, it's easy to fall in love. He's another guy, plus walk rate guy, plus chase rate guy, makes great swing decisions. He's got a gang of raw power too. 
Um, so it all it all adds up to you know sort of your prototypical um, OBP one fourteen max exit velocity. By the way, on on Prado with a a ninety point five average. So to kind of give you, this is yeah. a guy that's hitting like a like a pro hitter. Yeah. Um, and 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 he's got a plan. So he's got that juice. He's got a plan. It's the same as Melendez. And, you know, I don't think it's by accident that these guys have made some adjustments. Melendez is actually a slightly better contact hitter um, than Prado is. Prado definitely has some zone whiff, um, but he's not overly aggressive. So I don't think it's going to sink him, even if there is some growing pains. He's another guy that, you know, we don't say this very often, but he is a plus um, defensive first baseman. So I think he is the guy that's going to be, you know, getting some reps pretty early on uh, at first base versus like, you know, Vinny Pasquatino. Uh, we'll probably talk about a little bit later. Yeah. I'm excited to talk about Vinny because before we started recording, I, I literally had to run it by you. Like, am I crazy to be as high on Vinny Pascantino as I am? And before we get to him, uh, a quick little wrap up on, on the Royals duo there is I talked about this on, we did an episode on uh, about yesterday on my 2021 all prospect team. And of course, Prado and Melendez made that team. And I, I said on that episode, it's impossible to ignore that two of these guys hit the wall they did in high A and then had the turnaround they did. I'm I'm not going to specifically accuse anybody of anything. I have no information on that. And that's just pure speculation. But just what I'm taking away from there is it's not a coincidence. If it is a coincidence, a pretty weird one for those two talented hitters to have that terrible year and then turn around the way they did. So obviously there was something going on and I'm glad that they ironed it out. And and both guys that have high uh, marks for their makeup and, and good work ethics. And of course, I call 2020 the great separator because, you know, it was a quarantine time for people to just try to separate themselves and put the work in and you're on your own. And when you're MJ Melendez and have a built in phenomenal big time division one head coach as a father, uh, you're in pretty good shape in that regard. And one more guy that broke out before we get to Pascantino, Jose Miranda. He put on some muscle, about 15, 20 pounds of muscle. Uh, at least that's what it looked like from year to year when you see his physical stature and from what his listing weight was. Obviously, just totally, totally lit the world on fire from where he was before. More than doubled up his home run total. Just absolutely demolished baseballs. Cut down on an over-aggressive approach. He's still aggressive, but I think he was able to to fix that a little bit. Was getting the ball in the air a bit more. And I think that the biggest thing that you could see that the added strength did for him was that his home run to fly ball rate just absolutely skyrocketed, which is telling me, you know, when he's hitting the ball in the air, he's hitting it with more authority. I don't have the batted ball data there in terms of how hard it's going out, but yeah, I think you thirteen max. Yeah. And you can hypothesize that it was probably a bit lower than that before. Uh, are you sold on what we saw from Jose Miranda? I feel like on a full season scale like that in the upper levels, it's pretty hard to do that by accident. Yeah. And I mean, the thing is he's an aggressive somewhat of an aggressive approach guy. He's not a high walk rate guy, only 7.1% in the year. Um, He'll chase a little bit, but it's not out of control. It's about average 27%. um, So that's reasonable. He's not making terrible swing decisions, Uh, but he's a, he's a plus bat to ball guy. He's 81% plus um, contact guy. So once you get into the 80% number, you know, you're, you're a 60 bat to ball, you know, or a 60 contact hitter. He's legitimately that. Um, I still think he keeps a relatively tidy zone. Um, so that helps. And then, you know, as you said, there was, you know, a big power gain sort of year over year. Um, and I can even tell you right now, his max exit velocity in 2019 was 107. So he added, he added six miles per hour 
to his exit velocity year, I guess, kind of year over year, but year over two years or whatever you want to say. So, yeah, I mean, I think that once again, it goes back to what you said. I mean, 2020 was the separator for a lot of these guys. The guys that came out of quarantine stronger and better were able to take those gains and move forward. It's one of those things that gave you a lot of time to work on things and improve and not in, you know, and not in the public spotlight. Right. And we know what the pressure and everything that comes with that of, you know, doing it in game and whatever is just sort of, ma- you know, mastering your craft. And I think there's a lot of guys that master their, cra- their craft. I mean, we even look at some guys at the major league level, Randy Arizarena really isn't uh, any different than that, you know, added some strength, whatever. And, you know, his, his game has obviously taken off and he's, he's gone to another level. And now, you know, he's a borderline superstar in the game. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think the guys that put in the work, you can see the year over year gains from 2019 to 2021. And Miranda's definitely one. I mean, when you have plus power and plus hit, uh, it's going to work. It's going to yeah. work. Even if you don't have the greatest approach in the world, that will work. You know, yeah, that's, that's generally a good blend. And Vinny Pascantino has a bit of that blend too, which I don't think people realize. And I was really excited to talk about him when we do our Royals top 10, which I'm going to be doing later this week, but I'm excited to just kind of give a little appetizer of what I'm going to get into with this Royal system, because I was a bit nervous that people would get on me. Like, how could you have him this high? Uh, But I just felt like he belonged there and right on the fringes of a top 100 guy. And that's why I asked you before we started recording, is this nuts? And I was I'm surprised, but not surprised. Cause every time I think I have a hot take, I either DM you or, you know, we have a conversation and usually I feel like you're, you're on the same boat as me and it makes me feel good. I'm like, okay, well, don't I'm lie, not. man. It's, it's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy. Um, but I am very high on him. He does everything that you'd want from a hitter, obviously being a first baseman and a 30 runner isn't ideal, but what he does with the bat, he's one of one player in all of the minor leagues to do this this year. And it's have an even 1.0 or higher strikeout to walk ratio and hit more than 20 home runs. Yep. I mean, th- those are two very important things. Mm-hmm. Don't strike out, walk a lot, hit a lot of home runs, blend those two together. You are a very well-rounded, good player at the plate. Yeah. A- am I missing anything here? No. And I mean, I think the thing with him too, is he doesn't sell out for power either. I mean, he's not, this isn't a guy with a crazy uppercut swing. That's going to get, you know, banged at the upper levels when guys figure out where the holes are in the swing. We looked at a spread. We looked at his heat maps. There are no holes in his swing. Every single zone in the zone is 80% to 90% contact every single one. Oh, and he's an above average chase rate guy. That's, you know, that's O swing for those of you that maybe, you know, dig into the back end of, uh, of fan graphs with major league guys. And you'll know, I mean, a 21% O swing is above average to almost plus. I mean, once you get into 20% or lower, you're looking at, you know, the top sort of chase guys in the game, guys that don't chase a whole lot. Um, he's a plus to double plus walk rate guy. He gets on base a ton. He's also a plus contact hitter. He's an 80% plus contact guy. And to top it all off, his max exit velocities are 116 plus, almost 117. Um, averaging, you know, 90 to 91 miles per hour, uh, you know, in terms of his average exit velocity. So the only knock on this guy is he's first base only. Maybe he's a DH. He can't run, but 
there's plenty of like guys like that in the game. And there's a, there's a, I feel like there's a lack of good impact first basemen that pair contact and power and on base. There aren't many guys like that. And I'll tell you the comp I threw out there, obviously one guy can run and one guy can't, but there is a first baseman who is a superstar who maybe even has a hall of fame case down the road uh, that plays for a competitor, right? That was not a highly touted prospect that came up and hit the cover off the ball by the name of Paul Goldschmidt. And I don't think it's all that different from Goldschmidt with the exception of Goldschmidt being a plus runner and a better athlete. Remove it at the plate in the box. They're not that dissimilar. Great swing decisions on base ability, contact plus pop. Wow. I was, I thought you were going to say Rizzo. I thought you were going to say Rizzo. Um, but that's not awful either. You know? I think there's more pop there than Rizzo. Uh, there might be. And there might be a little bit more there. That's an awesome comp there because Goldschmidt's one of my favorite players for that exact reason. And yeah, the things we knew about Rizzo too. I feel like Goldschmidt was one of these guys that was like grossly undersold as a prospect. You know? uh-huh, absolutely. And I kind of feel like that's what Pasquatino is too, you know? And and I think he's decent enough. I was watching him with the leather. Like he can pick it a little bit. He, he can field well enough. It's not like he's this Seth Beer type of, of gaping hole. At first, yeah, he's, he's not just, a permanent DH. Like you can no, play in it for this. No. And, and I think that there's a lot of value there. And I'm glad you're on the same page there because he's somebody that I'm, I'm very excited about. And I think he's done some amazing things. So if we're going to follow that trend of, of guys with just good bat to ball skills with, you know, I would say developing power or power that you can dream on. I think you already see it now with Pascantino. Somebody else that I'm really warming up to the more I dig and the more I watch is Colton Kowser number two overall pick in this past draft. And I'm watching the video on Kowser and, and I'm watching his at bats, you know, full ABs and seeing the adjustments he's making pitch to pitch and, and seeing the way that, you know, he swings through a ball next pitch. He makes that exact adjustment. You need gets on base, sneaky, good athlete. I think he can stick in center. And I believe the power is going to develop. He's six three one ninety five, but he looks like he's got room for like twenty five pounds of muscle if he really wanted to to add it. Maybe that moves him to a corner. I don't give a crap because then he's going to rake yeah. even more. What are your thoughts on Kowser? As I see you smiling and nodding your head, I'm guessing we agree yeah. again. I am. I am a huge Kowser guy, and I think that um, you know this is sort of in the same vein of my philosophy, and I feel like I've noticed it a lot with the type of college players in particular. Baltimore has gone after in the last several drafts. <laughs> I said so, this verbatim, man. On the, they're all quiet bat to ball guys with a little bit of power. You can get excited about, even if they don't have great contact skills, like maybe Westberg, um, or even like you know uh, Keston uh, or, or uh, Heston Kerstad. Like they don't expand the zone. They walk a lot, so they make good swing decisions. Right? They have a plan at the plate. They're in control of the at bat. And it's obvious that that's a huge departure from the type of guys Duquette went after who were like softball players, big power contact, no walkability, right? Yeah. You can name three or four of them. So that's a big difference. That's a big difference within this organization. And there's a few guys that fit that, but cows are to me um, in terms of just from a data standpoint. So I'll, I'll say this too. And I have this coming out probably in a week or two on prospects live. Um, I did like sort of a, a, a data driven 
um, process when we did our top 100 for fantasy rankings. And I just kind of want to look at numbers, right? Because in, in the fantasy side of things, that's kind of what you're looking at, right? So this is probably you know, some of my last fantasy content I'll ever do. And um, I wanted to take all this non-public data I had and sort of come up with a formula that looked at, you know, contact skills. And I applied average contact rate as a 50. And I, you know, I went up and down based upon the different ranges of, you know, 60 and on the 2080 scale. And then I applied that grade, you know, to each number for each player. So I looked at contact. I looked at max exit velocity. I looked at walk rate. I looked at chase rate. Um, and I looked at XWOBA. So I tried to look at, you know, some different factors that I, I thought were truly representative of skills and trying to maybe take some of the luck out of it, right? How hard do you hit the ball? How frequently do you make contact with the ball? How frequently do you walk? Do you make good swing decisions? And, you know, the XWOBA, you know, does the batted ball data say that you should be getting the number of production, the production or the number of hits, et cetera, that you're getting. When I did that, the number one player in the minors in terms of hitters was Adley Rushman. Number two was Colton Kowser. Kowser has a 15.8% chase rate. He had a 16.8% walk rate. Now I understand it's only 149 plate appearances. It's not huge, but these are skills that translate. He is an 83% contact hitter. That's almost plus plus. There's very few guys that get into that range of above 80, 81%. Kowser is one that can do it. Oh, and by the way, his his max his exit velocity data isn't bad. His max exit velocity this year was at 108.5. Uh, his average exit velocity was 89. So it's not that far off. And if you're talking about a guy that you feel is projectable, you think can play all three outfield positions, even if he's not a center fielder, if it's a position that you know he's got the instincts in, as we said earlier, and he can play it in a pinch, that's a really good prospect. I think people are sleeping. I know Baseball America recently ranked them as the number one system, <laughs> Baltimore, but I think people are, are sleeping on what exactly is going on here. This is an incredibly intelligent organization, and they're making similar decisions to the decisions that Houston was making when Mike Elias, their GM, and a lot of the folks that work in that organization were there. Don't forget, Houston dumped their entire scouting department, so a lot of those guys matriculated and headed over to Baltimore at that time. So... You know, I, I think that Kowser for me could be a tr- like a, a legitimate, maybe not a superstar, but a borderline all-star um, that's going to have some tremendous years. He's going to hit for average. He's going to have enough power. He's going to be like the perfect number two or even leadoff hitter, right? Depending upon what the team is. He's not incredibly slow or anything like that. So for me, I think, I think Kowser is a guy that pe- people underrated a little bit coming into the draft. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he wasn't at a power five school. Yeah. You know, that there's always a little bit of a ding there. You know, it takes a little bit more. It's like, you know, our good friend, Nick Gonzalez. Yeah. He's one of the best, you know, one of the best college hitters I've ever seen. He had to go to the Cape and rake to prove to people that, yeah, it's not just the home park environment in New Mexico. I'm going to hit BBs. I'm going to hit seeds no matter where you put me. And, um, and, and he had to be the best exactly player. Do. He had to be the best yeah. player in the Cape. Right? Yeah, exactly. He had to be the best player in the Cape. But, and he had and he a was. top 10 pick. I mean, he wasn't a first rounder in a lot of people's eyes coming into that year. And I think those of us that saw it early, I mean, I remember looking over at our friend Pete Flaherty and being like, yep. Pete, this guy's a first rounder. <laughs> like, yeah. second game I saw, this guy is going to go in the first round. There's no I remember one of the first I met Pete Flaherty. Of course, he's a GM liaison at the Katua Kettleers and, and 
helps put the roster together. And he was one of the guys that was really on Nick Gonzalez uh, for, for their team. And when I got there as a broadcaster, I was like, okay, you know, I've studied the roster. Gonzalez's numbers are otherworldly, but you know, how is that going to translate here? And he goes, just watch batting practice. He's like, I, I know you keep up with this. Just go watch. I, I implore you to come early and go watch. I didn't even need to watch him in game. I watched him take BP and I said, Oh, that that'll play. That'll play. He and he still exceeded my Sorry. Did he decide to hit switch in that BP? That was the craziest thing is he did that. <laughs> he hit lefty. I don't think people know that. I was like, who's this new guy we got here? And, and I, I get closer. I'm like, that's Nick hitting from the left side. He could legitimately do that if he wanted to. I think he could put up Ozzy Albee splits if he wanted to. Uh, yeah. Because Albies from the left side is, is not nearly as good from the right side. But that's it's so funny you mentioned that about the Orioles because I just did the Orioles top 10. And the one thing I yep. said, um, and I have it written here in my Orioles top 10 on just baseball, was if you haven't noticed, there's a trend throughout the offensive prospects that the Orioles target. Simple swings geared for consistent contact and good decision making. Mm-hmm. with developing power. And I think that's what we saw. Connor Norby fits that mold too. I see a little bit of a Nick Gonzalez light in Connor Norby. Yeah. It's also a guy that I really like in that system. A, a couple other names that I wanted to go over before we wrap up here, because it's crazy how time flies when we're doing this, but uh, I'm really excited about Cowser and I see some Michael Brantley in there a little bit. I don't know if that's something you see a little bit of too. Um, and, and I'm I'm thinking that they're going to have a lot of those hitting prospects uh, really end up hitting for them. Uh, No pun intended on that. But some of the other guys that I thought really took that next step this year, uh, somebody that was making a lot of buzz at, at camp and really started to translate it into, into production after a bit of a slow start, Michael Harris is somebody that's not going to wow you. And I I think that there's a little bit of, he had the hype. He kind of fell off a little bit in terms Mm -hmm. of the hype, but then you look at a macro scale, put up good numbers. Yeah. What's the gauge on Harris? I really like his floor as somebody that I think no matter what should be a pretty solid regular and a good athlete with a good arm as a former, you know, pitcher in high school, he he's gotten above average arm, but I think he can stick in center. What's your gauge on, on Michael Harris? Yeah. And I think, you know, a big part of it was the power with Harris is still developing above average contact guy. He likes to chase. He he is he is pretty aggressive. It's below average in terms of some of his swing decisions. And I think ultimately that hurt him a little bit. Power still developing, but he's young. You know, I think we forget this guy, you know, is 20 years old. He'll be 21 yep. all the next season. Um, you know, left-handed hitting, left-handed throwing, center field type. Um, I think he will probably get a shot to stick long-term in center field. Um, I think people just got too crazy about him. Right. Yeah. And this is this kind of goes back to, you know, something we talked about offline where I think because of the lack of some of the other numbers that we maybe would look at with pro guys. And let's be honest, there's a lot of guys that are out there that love baseball. They love to write about prospects. They love to look at the numbers. They're probably doing it more from a fantasy standpoint, but they don't necessarily watch large amounts or larger samples of a particular. Absolutely. They're looking at clips they find on YouTube. They're looking at clips that they find on Twitter and they're not watching games. They're not watching full at bats and understanding what this guy is facing, et cetera. It's confirmation. Yeah. And, and I think that we, people got so crazy. Like this guy is a good athlete and he's got some power and he can hit 
and he's going to be a center fielder and this guy's going to be a superstar and he's going to be back. He's going to look, oh, you know, he looks great in a uniform and it's like all this sort of stuff. And then all of a sudden, a guy that like, yeah, you were right initially, like your initial reaction of saying this guy is underrated. We need to talk about Michael Harris more. He should have been an, at 80 on your list, but you talk yourself into such a frenzy. He ends up 20 on your list, yeah. 15. And then the problem is, and this is something, you know, someone that's done rankings for a long time and rankings are hard with prospects because these guys are human beings. They're constantly evolving. It's always just a, a, a small snapshot. And there's, maybe 230 guys that are top 100 level prospects. Just frankly, there are yeah. right. Yeah. Depending upon what you like pitch mix, whatever for a pitcher or type of hitter it is, there's certain things that one evaluator might excuse versus another. And so when you look at the larger picture, I always say there's 200 guys here that have, you know, that sort of ability and that sort of skill. So I think that people get so caught up that we sometimes want to make a statement and we go too far to make that statement. And instead of allowing that player to gradually move up a ranking, you have to move them down. Right. Because you, because you went to, you went too far, two levels, you went to pitting him against himself. It's, it's like pitting himself. It's not fair. And I think the way we grade pitchers is way off too. I mean, look at the amount of top pitching prospects that bust. And you have to ask if that is, guys breaking it's really hard to make it as a pitcher i think there's an element of that or if we just don't know enough about pitch mixes we don't really know what pitch shape is like on certain guys like Mackenzie gore it's very obvious his stuff isn't good enough that he can't have fringe average control if he has fringe average control he is not he is not a major league starter that's the reason he hasn't been up in two years when the padres have needed him right um Forrest Whitley, I think, obviously had some some off the field stuff, some physical stuff. But there was but before the last injury, there were some definite red flags in terms of production and, and what we saw from the player on the field. Right. And I think guys got to throw strikes. They got to have an attack plan. You know, they got to have a good fastball. I think we so underrate fastballs. We talk about breaking balls all the time. We talk about change ups, whatever. And, and great. We'll talk about that in a second. But if a guy can get swings and misses and outs and throw his fastball for strikes with good movement, that guy has a great foundation to be a major league pitcher. Now, I don't know if he's going to be a reliever or a starter, but let's get to a pitcher first, right? And then from there, we'll build on the house, right? Does he throw his secondaries for strikes? All right. That's one more foundation to get, you know, uh, uh, a starter here. Um can he go deep into games, right? Is he efficient? If you throw strikes, you are efficient. You get deeper into games, right? And that's something that is in demand right now. Do you have secondaries that miss bats? And do you have a secondary that can drive weak contact? If you have those things, I think you have a very good shot to be a starter. And then whatever happens from there, a lot of it is on you. It's on your team. Um, it's on the defense behind you. I think Casey Mize will tell you about that as rookie season in 2020. <laughs> You didn't have that good infield behind him. Yeah. Infield improved. Look at the numbers, right? So I think there's a lot of that. And there's a lot of ways to to sort of to 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 break it down or you know, skin the cat for for lack of a better term. Like you can be a sinker slider guy with a good changeup, you can be a really good starter. 
you can be a guy with plus hop on your four seam fastball and, you know, an efficient access. You can be Shane Boz with, you know, uh, 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 an elite VAA like Garrett Cole or, or, or Jacob DeGrom. And then you have those secondaries that you throw for strikes that you miss bats with on top of it. You got to be able to do all those things. You can't have major. And I think part of it is having two secondaries isn't about like a third pitch. We always hear that. It's about having something against off-handed batters. Yes. That's what it is. Daniel Lynch's problem. You can, you could survive against, if you're a righty and you have, you know, um, an awesome slider and you have a great fastball, you're probably going to get righties out. Yeah. How are you going to get lefties out if you don't have a changeup? That's Daniel Lynch. Yeah, because that slider is probably breaking into the hitting zone. It's breaking into the barrel, right? Mm -hmm. It's the same reasoning we don't see a lot of, you know, same-handed changeups. People always ask about the why doesn't he throw his his, his changeup more? He gets all these whiffs. He never throws against right-handers because it would run into the barrel. (laughs) The whole point is he can throw that off the plate to a lefty and – it starts in the zone and it runs outside of the zone and you get whiffs on it. Right. So I think it's just our understanding of how pitching works. Right. And even to the other side, how hitting works, we have to understand these better and develop our personal um, viewpoints on what skills make major leaguers and then what skills on top of that make stars. And I think that's the toughest thing, but there's such a lack of information. I think at times we rush to get stuff out there and people are scared. People like to go chalk because they want to hear somebody say good list. That's yeah. a good list. I like that list. Yeah. You know, uh, the list that I, I read three months ago that I picked up all the prospects in my fantasy league. Cause let's be honest with a lot of prospect stuff. It's driven by fantasy, right or wrong. It is, um, you know, and you're reinforcing my biases, confirmation bias. Yep. Right. So, People are scared to challenge stuff. I'll cha- I challenge myself. I want to prove myself wrong. When I go in and I try to dig in deeper on a player, I try to say, all right, what are my preconceived notions here? And what are the things I want this guy to do better? Like when we're doing our reports this year, they're going to look different. Um, they're going to say it's going to be physical description, you know, mechanics, hitting mechanics, whatever. Strengths, weaknesses, summary. So we're breaking down the things this guy does well. The things this guy doesn't do well, as opposed to like, this is what his slider is. This is what his changeup is. This is what his fastball is. Yeah, we're absolutely. doing that. We're doing it in a much more tangible way. And I think that that's the way we got to start thinking about prospects because there's a lot of pitching prospects out there that we really have hyped up that aren't as good as other guys that we haven't hyped up as much. You know, Peyton Battenfield, who was traded to Cleveland this this trade deadline, right. spectacular year. He's got an elite fastball. He maybe only sits 91 to 93, but he has on average one of the highest IVBs, one of the most efficient accesses in all of the minor leagues. And he throws it for a strike, and that's the reason he misses bats. And he's got secondaries that he can pair up with it. It's the same thing with – At the big league uh, level, you got Nestor Cortez. Yep. Look at that guy throwing 90 mile an hour fastballs and he's buzzing them by people. You know, it, 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 that's the thing. And I love what you're saying here because this is something we, we talked a little bit about on the hitting side. It's like, I feel like we're building the walls before the foundation with the way we're prospecting right. with, with hitters. We're going after the power and the speed, but then the hit tool might be lagging behind. Oh, well, well the hit tool will get there. How yeah. often does that happen? I, it doesn't happen as much as it should. And as, as a guy opposite. that. Yeah. Guys with hit tools 
have power. Yeah. We talked about him, uh, you know, um, before the show, Stephen Kwan of Cleveland. He's a potential rule five guy. I, I think, I think Cleveland will end up protecting him. He's a 90% contact guy. He spoke about it. He had an injury early. So he's, his season started late in 2021, but he had made a concerted effort to um, connect earlier. And by connecting earlier, it allows him to tap into his pull side power. So he knows what kind of pitches he can drive. He's a good contact hitter. When you're a good contact hitter, it's usually because you have elite barrel control, right? You know how to, you know, hit different pitch heights and, and manipulate your bat and your swing path to make sure that you barrel up. It's an optimized swing path. So he's connecting earlier. He's getting more into his lower half. He made some adjustments. That's allowing him to turn ground balls to his pull side that he might have hit before into, you know, harder hit balls in the air. He's still a below average raw power guy, but he's optimized swing path, which isn't all that different is like, you know, Alex Bregman, you know, um, another guy that popped this year, pitcher, Tommy Romero. Tommy oh, Romero I've talked about Romero a fastball. lot. He's got a 21 IVB average. He's got a 4.74 VAA. So he's below that five degree mark in terms of his vertical approach angle. So it plays really flat in the zone. And that's what deception is, right? It's not necessarily like the Joey Lucchese goofiness. It's about how the ball comes out of your hand and how it travels into the zone, right? Can you identify where that ball is going to land? Or is it that, as we like to call with like Joe Ryan, whoever the Invisa fastball, that's more or less what it is. It's difficult to pick up out of the hands. That's more important than just about anything else. You know, um, it's why you can throw 97 and have a bad fastball, or you can, you know, throw 91 to 93 and have a really good fastball like Ramiro, like bit like Batfield, you know? So I think it's just about as more information becomes available and, I think as more prospect writers challenge themselves to really understand the developments and the benefits of knowing data, right? Whether you're at the field, I think it's one of the things that like for me in the Cape this year, I was able to connect, like I can see a low release height now. I can see, you know, when a fastball has hop and I can then go look look over at the trackman and be like, what's he come pulling up for, for IVB. So like I saw Eric Adler from like Wake Forest, who had a relatively inefficient fastball that he cut, he made some adjustments. His fastball added efficiency. And all of a sudden, his fastball was playing differently than it ever had before. And he's going to go in this year, and he's, you know, potentially a really important piece. I don't know, he might be in the bullpen, but a really important piece for a really good Wake Forest team, I think, that could maybe compete for the ACC. So, you know, it's, I think it's just about digging a little bit deeper, trying to find out some more information. Um, there's more out there in terms of data than you think too. So I just think it's a matter of just taking a step back and, you know, maybe challenging some of those preconceived notions. A hundred percent. And I think a lot of it is backwards. Like, like we talked about it and that's something I've talked about a lot on this podcast. And I feel like every time I bring you on, I, I got to tell people, like, I swear I didn't tell Jeff to, to say this. <laughs> I didn't pay him to say this, whether it's prospect related or, or whether it's just uh, conceptually, but I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I, I might even just clip that and just send it to people anytime that they try to push back on some of the things that I'm saying, uh, because there's so many of my favorite prospects are those guys that had that first. And I think you look at what Cleveland does too, with their pitchers, a lot of guys there are, are pitchability first, develop the stuff. We know so much about the human body and the biomechanics, and we're able to develop and make people stronger and 
it's yeah. easier to be able to get those things that we once thought were impossible to find or impossible to develop. It's not God given to throw 95 anymore. I think the ability to do it is still a one percentile. Oh, it's important. I mean, it's probably still the most important characteristic. But what I'm saying is, is it's easier to develop than it used to be. As it used to be something that yes. we thought nobody could do. And now we can oh, yeah. develop this. It's not this thing that like some people are born. And if you throw 90, you're never going to get to 95. Like it, it, it's still something that, you can teach guys and you're seeing these big VLO bumps. We saw it at the ATS so many different times. How many guys am I writing up them saying, saw a VLO bump at the ATS? Like it's, it's just something that now we're being able to, to maximize the human body. And, and I think that's why it's so much more important to get the baseline skills. And, and I think you hit the nail on the head. So I wish we could keep going on, on every single prospect. I, I got to circle back and have you on after the Arizona fall league, if you're up for it and we'll do a Absolutely. little follow up on some of those guys out there, because there's a lot of names, Casas, Beatty, all those guys that I would love to talk to you about after the fall league wraps up and, and talk about. And I'm going to be there for the second to last week. I'll be there from the 9th of November until the 14th. I'll be there for fall stars. And the plan right now is I'll see every single team twice. So hell yeah. Well, looking forward to hearing you talk about it. Cause I'm going to try to make my way out there. If I can't, then I'm counting on you. Uh, but regardless, <laughs> would love to have you on after that wraps up and uh, do a little follow up then as always. Thank you so much, Jeff. I really appreciate yeah, absolutely, it. Absolutely, man. I appreciate it. Uh, love coming on.